What the fuck is up, people? How's everybody doing out there? Morton's Law Podcast coming at you with another episode here on this Sunday, April 24, 2022. Who gives a fuck? That's what I got to say. What is that saying? Zero fucks giving? Right, exactly. So uh, I'm going to take you on this little journey today. A lot of stuff is going to be off the head just because... It's been a while and there's a lot to talk about and some crazy shit happened yesterday at Yankee Stadium for those who didn't see it. It was just wild. It was wild. It was disgusting. It was embarrassing. There's so many adjectives that can describe what Yankee fans did yesterday. Throwing beer nonstop at players, laughing and mocking an injured player. Then getting into it with other players. I mean, listen, Miles Straw, when he went up there, oh man, it would have been great if he had slapped one of those fans. But of course, they would have sued, including Mr. Pussy Boy. If you watched the John Boy video, go check that out. That was really good. I also commented on that video. Just disgusting. I would love for those fans to just, I would love actually for the players to have the opportunity to be face to face with those fans that were doing what they did without the law present. I would just love to see that because all these people with their beer energy, their beer tough guy, the, the fugazi, if you will, it's just like all these entitled white pieces of shit that were throwing beer at people, at players rather, excuse me. It's just, it's disgusting. And I really hope, like, as I said in the in the YouTube video, somebody should be arrested. All of them. Arrest all those people. There should be video. You should be able to find those people. Ban them from the stadium for life. That is that is just inexcusable. That's assault throwing something at somebody the way they did. They could have hurt people. They hit the umpire in the back. Did you see that one? Just, oh, man. By the way, how did those people have all that beer? Don't they shut off beer by a certain time? Why did those people still have that much beer? But just disgusting. And it ruined a great moment. Think about that. The Yankees won that game in the bottom of the ninth inning with a great walk-off double by Glaber Torres. And then Stanton and Judge had to come out and... and Plead with the people to stop doing this. Where's security? Where's the cops? Where's anyone? Are you kidding me? If you go to Yankee Stadium, look at how much police presence there is outside the building. They, those people couldn't have been called immediately. I mean, wh- what were people doing? This. Think about how long this took. Go watch this video. It's like, where's anyone? I mean, tase all those motherfuckers. Tase them right in the dick. That is, it's just disgusting embarrassing Yankee fans. I mean, you'd expect something like that in Philadelphia, not here. Okay, look, people are pieces of shit everywhere. I hate to pick on a city, but it's just like, wow. But yeah, that was that was gross. So a lot, I'm just gonna be random here, a lot to talk about. There, um, WrestleMania was fun. It was better than I thought it would be. Day one was was a good show. Day one, if you take day one on its own, it would have been a great WrestleMania. Day two had a little bit too much. Like, look, day one had Logan Paul 
who was better than anyone thought he could be in the ring. He was up there with the bad bunnies of the world in terms of celebrity entering the ring. I mean, that was a performance. If you're Vince McMahon, you're like, whoa, what what am I doing? This guy's like 6'2", 6'3", 200 plus pounds. How much money am I going to offer this guy to be a full-time wrestler? And he should because you're going to get viewers. Think about how popular the, the brothers are in terms of the media influence, the, the social media influence that they have and can can bring more people to the to the, to the viewing screen because WWE is struggling right now, struggling a lot. When you look at their ratings, their, their post-WrestleMania show did a 2.1 and just two weeks later, we're already down to the 1.6s, the numbers they were getting pre-WrestleMania run. And it's just going to get more and more alarming where you're going to just one day, especially up against these NBA playoffs, which I'm going to talk about in a second too. There's going to be a time, I don't know if it's going to happen now, in this playoff run where the WWE Raw show gets under a million people. It's going to happen. Maybe next year. Now, I don't know about this year because it's still at 1.6. That's a lot to ask for in terms of a full 600,000 people just walking out. That's not happening. But that number's dwindling. And look, day two WrestleMania, the whole Vince McMahon debacle, the whole stunner. If you haven't seen that, go get a good laugh. I mean, Vince just collapses as he tries to take the knee to get the stunner in the wrong position. Then he just, I mean, that was bad. That was bad. I felt bad watching that. I mean, seeing Vince McMahon's old man arms, despite being in pretty good shape for being, what, 75? How old is he? And... Pat McAfee, again, another guy who could be a full-time wrestler if he wanted to be. Just good work there in that match. I mean, it's terrible that he had to lose, but (laughs) that's the man's company, so it is what it is. And Austin Theory, you know, I've I've been buying stock in Austin Theory for a while now. He's going to be up there for the future of this company unless they ruin that also. Because like I said in a previous episode, if they ruin Austin Theory, they... Have, they're not going to get anybody over. They will not get anybody over because this guy has all the tools. Obviously now, Braun Breaker, whatever you want to call him, will be up eventually. He'll be the guy. I don't know how much longer Roman has before Hollywood comes calling and then Jason Momoa will be homeless. I don't know. Um, but WWE is desperate for stars. Desperate. Really bad. And look, when I mean, you talk about stars... And all the money, I don't know the full contract. I should have that information. I don't. How much money Cody got to go back? Because Tony Khan wouldn't give him that money, but Vince did. Now, I don't know if Cody took less money than what Tony was offering just to go back home, if you will. If you saw the promo and the whole dusty influence and the belt, the word he shouldn't use, the Miz called him out on it. People thought, oh, no, Cody's going to be in trouble. Calm down. Vince... They approve every script. Cody did not go in that ring and shoot, if you will. And then Vince like gave read, read him the riot act afterwards. No, he knew he was going to say those words. I'd be shocked otherwise. But again, Cody, talk about stars. He's now on Raw. So since WrestleMania, the numbers have went down with him on the show. No, I don't know who can save that show. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, and that's another argument I have with people all the time. 
oh, well, wrestling, wrestling, the numbers are down because there's so many options for people to watch all TV, sport, you name it. But wait a second. Good TV shows, good sporting events, draw numbers. And that's what I've always said about wrestling. If you give the crowd, the audience, something compelling to see, there's a lot of wrestling fans still out there that have stopped watching. They want to see something good. They put on AEW. They give AEW. Listen, when you see that AEW number go over a million, a million one-ish, those are those fans tuning in saying, hey, we're here. Now grab us. Keep us. But then they see something they don't like. And then they go away for a little bit. But then they come back again. So those people are there. I think there's even more people than that. I really do believe. Of course, you have this whole brand loyalty or, or company loyalty, I should say, with the WWE fans. I don't know how many of them watch Dynamite and Rampage, vice versa. How many AEW fans watch? I mean, it's just... But there's more wrestling fans out there. And you have to find them. You have to get them. Get them because they want to see good, compelling wrestling. You need storylines. Listen, you can't just put two guys out there, have a great match, and expect it to draw a big number. I've been saying this since, what, this podcast started. Ring of Honor would have been the best company in the world for the last 10 years. Because they put two guys in the ring and had great matches. But they didn't have, well, eventually a lot of those guys became stars in WWE, like CM Punk, Samoa Joe. The list goes on and on. But they weren't drawing that number for Ring of Honor. They couldn't do it on that small stage. Because they're not compelling storylines. And that's what you need also is that storyline to, to grab the person, the wrestling fan that's still out there. Because, hey, you watch these NBA playoffs. I mean, look, I don't. I try, I watch as little as I can because I hate the game and the way it's played. But the Celtics and the Nets drew, what, four million for game two, I believe, or game three. I mean, the numbers are there. They're there. People are there. Sports fans are there. I hate the excuses. Oh, wrestling's down because of this. Or because Stop. Give it up. It's it's just not compelling. There's not much to see. And AEW has the ups and downs too, even with the, the good wrestling that we're getting. I mean, look, they've been putting CM Punk out there in the opening match for how many weeks now? I mean, the show just goes downhill after that, though, in terms of the rating. But I'll say this. Wednesday night... We have a must-see match. A must-see match. Listen, they've had a lot of good matches recently. I'm not going to go down the list of all of them. But Wednesday night, we're getting Dax against Cash. One-on-one, two teammates going at it to qualify for the Owen Hart Memorial. And that is going to be the match to watch. I mean, that's it just reminds me back uh, in, into the 80s where... If you remember, actually, it was late 80s, I guess, where they had the Royal Rumble and the first two participants was Axe and Smash and they got to go at it and they brawled for, what is that, 60 or 90 seconds until the next person comes in. And that was fun. I mean, just to see two teammates go at it for a certain amount of time before they, you know, without turning on each other, they're still going to be obviously teammates after this match. This is something important to them. And I, I saw Rampage with the preview of the match and. They talked about the significance of what Owen Hart meant to them and the business and his time in Japan. And wow, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. I just watched the uh, Eddie Kingston 
like the realest guy. He's the realest guy in the business. I mean, if, I, they're never going to put the title on him. He doesn't really need it, but he needs to be out there more because the fans can care about somebody like that. He and Daniel Garcia had a war. That was a great match. That was fun to watch because they worked the holds. They sold. I mean, look, Cole and, and Ishii did similar stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say their match wasn't as good, but Garcia and Kingston like gave you something to care about it was just like it was good stuff i enjoyed watching that and yeah they they got to find a way to keep that audience because they're, they're really giving listen for the last couple dynamites they've been giving amazing cards some really top line matches and the nba playoffs is still in the way but you got to get those fans to say no we don't need to see the nba playoffs i want to see dynamite I want to see what they're going to do next. It's a hard thing to do. It is. It's hard to bring those people back. You know, I got a bone to pick with Taz. His commentary is just outrageous sometimes. And listen, if you want to say he's a good commentator, Taz is a really good commentator. If English were his second language. I mean, it's just brutal. Do you hear this guy speak? I don't know what he's saying half the time. He uses words in the wrong context all the time. He sounds like a complete idiot. I don't know. And I don't think it's a gimmick. I think that's just who he is. I mean, does he does he make good analysis on certain parts of matches? Yeah, of course. I'm not denying that. But the rest of it is painful to listen to. It's so bad. And I mean, the comment that was made. Now, I don't know if he's being told to say this. Adam Cole, he goes 12 and 2 in his last 14 matches. He's on a roll. Wait a second. Are we we were ignoring his two losses to the world champion? Why don't you put those put put that over a little bit more by saying he came up short against the world champ, but now he's gonna start from scratch. He's gonna build himself back up. Say something about those losses at least. You can't ignore them. You're gonna be like, oh, he didn't just lose to the world champ twice. He did. It's like they have a little Vince McMahon situation going on there. Well, you know what? We're going to ignore that. That didn't happen. Just move him back up. I mean, if he wins his Owen Hart Memorial, that's just... Psh, I don't want to see that happen. But this this, uh, this tournament's going to be loaded. I mean, Joe already qualified. Um, Listen, his match against Suzuki, okay? People loved it. People raved about it. The dream match. The this, the that. I've seen Suzuki be better. I've seen Joe be better. Okay? That's my point. If you want to see Suzuki better, go watch the Danielson match. Because that was better than this. And Joe has had countless other matches when you talk about working strong style or King's Road, whichever one you prefer. And look, it just turned it was it was a ridiculous chop fest, okay? It became ridiculous after a while. You want to see a better Joe match, go watch. His match in 05, 06, was it? Ring of Honor against the legendary Kenta Kobashi, which I was at live. That was better than this. And it's not a knock on either guy. You just, you kind of do the same. Look, Suzuki has a lot of the same matches. He had a very similar match with Ishii at the Chicago Windy City Riot, which was a really good card. And the main event, people like to... Throw that yo, match of the year out there a lot. They really do. And 
those who think that Moxley and Osprey is it a candidate? I don't know. There's still a lot of this year left. But it was okay. I didn't love the match. I went, okay, it's good. The finish was botched. I mean, you can't have a candidate in my match of the year when the finish was botched. I mean, the ref counted at three when he kicked out, and then they had to go to this 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 different finish and just cover it up. That was bad. <laughs> Where was I? Ugh. So, yeah, oh, the Owen Hart Memorial and, and all the qualifiers. and Listen, that's going to be an incredible tournament. I'm still on the fence with a couple of buddies about going on May 11th, which is when I believe the tournament officially starts, I think, in uh, in Elmont, New York at the new uh, arena. What's the name of that arena again? I, I should know. I forget. But uh, so the question is, what is AEW going to do in terms of the build towards Double or Nothing, which is now less than a month away double or nothing does it look like they're gonna go punk and page can they do that will they do that it looks like they may but i don't know how omega is gonna play into this well i mean obviously the big announcement that came out last week that everyone was listen i i knew in advance just from reading the internet uncle dave throwing it out there that we're getting this uh, new japan aw super show which they're gonna try to do Similar to what New Japan and Ring of Honor did. The big difference, however, is now there's going to be apparent crossover. Because in the MSG show, the Ring of Honor guys only wrestled the Ring of Honor guys, New Japan, so on and so forth. But now we might get some dream matches. Of course, as we just did, if you want to call every... I hate the term dream match. It's so overdone. It's overdone. Stop. Not everything's a dream match. Stop doing that. It's like Adam Cole and Ishii isn't a dream match. Was it good? Okay, it was decent. Not a dream match. But uh, the build toward... Listen, I think Paige's days as champ are numbered. I don't think he's getting out of double and nothing with the title. So they'll move on from there. This uh, MJF Wardlow feud. I don't know. What do you think of it? Let me know on Twitter. Morton's underscore law. Leave me a message here on Anchor. Leave a review. Anything. Talk to me, people. I think it's good, but it's not great. Like, I know the payoff is going to come, but the question is, are they going to beat MJF in this feud? Because if you beat MJF, well, then how does he come back from that now again? Because the rumor was he was going to get Paige, and now they've gone away from that, and it looks like Paige is going to lose the title before MJF even gets there. I'm curious how they do that. There's a lot of tough decisions, as I said in the previous episode. Nothing's easy when you have all this talent so loaded, this roster. But I think they're going to have to screw Wardlow just to keep MJF strong. I don't know how they're going to screw him, but they have to. You can't beat MJF again. I don't know, because of course he's coming off the punk loss. And... um, yeah, so you know what? That wraps up this little segment here on a little bit of uh, sports, wrestling, slash, whatever. I'm going to come back and focus on the NBA, some other things that may pop in my head, some stuff about my life, <laughs> and anything else no one gives a shit about. <laughs> Morton's Law coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law Podcast. 
This is crazy. I'm over here watching this video on YouTube news that uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC were here on Staten Island at the Amazon warehouse in terms of uh, defending the workers who, of course, are going to vote for a union that Amazon is flipping out about. It was uh, just interesting to see that AOC was here. Bernie's classic. If you think of Bernie Sanders, every time I just visualize and hear Larry David doing the impersonation on Saturday Night Live and how brilliant that sketch and every sketch that Larry David is in. Just uh, fun stuff. But yeah, a lot of... Um, I just read a, st- <laughs> I read a great story today that apparently a cat, somehow a cat is going to be named the mayor Actually, it happened earlier today, Sunday, as I speak to you. At 4 o'clock, I don't know how long the cat is going to be mayor of a, a town in Michigan. A cat, yes. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can bring the cat to New York City. Perhaps he could clean up crime better than our current mayor is. All right, he's trying, I know. But still, not many people are happy with Mr. Celebrity himself, Eric Adams. That's another story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So let's talk NBA before I drag on any further here. The big story was last night, the Nets and the Celtics. Kevin Durant, all-time great player. What? I mean, I don't know where you would put him. Is he a top 10? Is he a top 20? Wherever you want to put Kevin Durant. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't crack the top 20. After last night... I don't know if he cracks the top 30 because that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from an all-time great player in a, in a situation where they rise to the top. That's where the great player comes with the adversity. Listen, Celtics defense, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's good. But if you are a basketball fan and you know anything about basketball, good offense has always beaten Good defense. It's a fact. It's just known. Look, good team defense can hold down an entire offense, yes. But when you have that star player, they always find a way to make that tough shot. Because it's a shot-making league. The problem Saturday night was, is that Kevin Durant didn't shoot the shot. 11 field goal attempts in 40 plus minutes of action he was asked about it after the game and he said he wanted to just distribute the ball more to get better looks the problem was if you watch closely he had opportunities jeff van gundy pointed out during the broadcast when you beat the first because i know celtics had one guy on him and they had a, what you call a wall they had people there to bump into him to give him to make him forced to pass the ball but there, there are multiple circumstances throughout that game where he dribbled way too much, over-dribbled, and then passed when he could have just pulled up in the lane for a little jumper, which is a major issue in this league. Guys, they either... All right, so here's what everybody does. They get the pick and roll. They drive the lane, right? They drive the lane, and then they kick to the corner. What, when is people going to realize? It goes back to baseball with the shift. When you can dry, drop a bunt down, right? Or you can hit the ball the other way to maybe take people out of a shift. Another argument that I have all the time. That they're going to ban the shift next year, which is a joke. The major league hitters. 
It's a major league hitters. Let's go. Come on. Mike and a mad dog on a fan. WFAN Sports Radio 66. I mean, come on. How do you not beat a shift? Drop the bunt down. I was, I, what was it? Last week, I think it was. Anthony Rizzo. I'm ADDing here. I'm sorry. I know I'm all over the map. Anthony Rizzo dropped down a bunt. And it was one of the best bunch you'll ever see. Just because that's what people should do more often. It's a hit. You're on base. Your own base percentage just went up. It's it can start a rally. Do it more. Make make the shift change. But they don't do it. And the same thing with the NBA. When the guy drives the lane, instead of going to the rim and getting your shot blocked, as is often the case now, because we don't have that many rim attackers as we did in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Guys don't jump to the rim to try to dunk the ball anymore. That's just, you don't see it. And I don't think there are great shot blockers in this league, but very few players attack the rim with, with the ferociousness of a Vince Carter. I'm not even going to go to MJ and Kobe because those are you know, legendary players. I mean, Vince is a great player, but he's not legendary like those guys. But there's other examples of guys of yesteryear who were just skywalkers. It doesn't happen anymore. Guys are afraid to get their shot blocked. You you block my shot the first time, I'm going to dunk on you the next time. I mean, think about the opportunity you have when you try to dunk the basketball. One, you could score the field goal. Two, you could get fouled. I mean, there's just so many chances that you have. And who cares if he blocks a shot? Go back at it. Next time, he might foul you. Next time, you might dunk it and get the foul. It's just, there's a lot of stupidity in the league. So when you drive the lane, stop and shoot the ball. There's that little space between the foul line and the dotted circle for the charge block call where guys can shoot that little seven, eight footer in the lane. It doesn't have to be a Derrick Rose push shot. Just stop and shoot a regular shot. I watched Zach Levine do it today. Drives the lane, kicks to a three. No one's in front of you once you get down below the foul line. There's no one there until you get to the rim. Shoot the fucking ball at eight feet. You have you have, make the defense change. Oh man, it's so painful to watch the NBA. It's such a bad game. And the Bulls are an embarrassment. I know I went all over the place. I'll go back to the Nets Celtics in a second. What an embarrassment. Chris Middleton gets hurt. Doesn't play game three or four. The Bulls win game two, by the way, with him missing the fourth quarter. So they won that fourth quarter, surprising the Bucs. Then they come back home. No Middleton. Granted, the Bucs have more time to prepare without him. I get that. But... The Bulls get embarrassed on their home floor. Back-to-back games. They're going back to Milwaukee. You know, the series is over. The Bulls don't have a chance in hell. And, And I called it from the beginning. And I'll call it again. Vucevic, DeRozan, Levine are not winning players. And there's a lot of them in the league. It's sad. I mean, listen. I, at this point, uh, stage of my life, it's hard to root for players when I see the mistakes they make 
that aren't going to lead them to a championship or be in a position to win a championship. And you see that countless mistakes with the Bulls, the inability to do what I just said, take that shot when it's there. Stop over dribbling. The Bulls and Van Gundy was great during the broadcast of uh, not not this afternoon's game. It was Friday night's game, I believe. Yes. And numerous times the Bulls took shots later in the shot clock that were worse than the shot presented to them, say, with still 14 or 10 seconds left on the shot clock. You don't have to wait for the shot clock to get down to five before you get a shot off. It's just poor decision making. And the league is plagued by it. Plagued. There's so many bad decision makers in the NBA today. So many bad ones. It's it's tough to watch. And listen, DeRozan again. Again, listen. He had his 41 in game two. Okay? I'm not going to take that away from him. Although he did shoot one for eight in the fourth. Go look that up. Had a really bad fourth quarter until he made that clinching layup. Yes. Did he win the game at the end? He did. Fine. But the DeMar DeRozan that was in Toronto, that when he left and was replaced by Kawhi Leonard, they won a championship. DeRozan went to die in San Antonio because not even Popovich wanted to deal with that anymore. So he, he left. Then comes to Chicago, has this resurgence at the age of, what is he, 31, 32 now? Still not an old man by any stretch, but, you know, on the downside, you could argue, depends on how great of shape you keep yourself in. Incredible season. He's, he, listen, I love his game from the standpoint of he takes the two-point shot. He shows players you can be an upper echelon scorer in this league by shooting just mid-range jump shots. He said that in the win after game two. I hope they're watching. Because all these threes that people take and can't make at the percentages of a Steph Curry or a Klay Thompson and some of the other upper echelon shooters in this league, you should not be shooting the three ball. I don't, I don't care if you can make it two out of ten times or three out of ten times or the percentages and the analytics and all this nerd bullshit say, oh, well, it's, it's going to be better than the two. No, no, it's not. It's not. They, they, they make this line, three's better than two. Well, guess what? Two's better than zero. And when I got a guy out there shooting a three that's going to clank most of these shots. Like, another example, Giannis. Giannis is a great player, two-time MVP. For whatever reason, he still feels the need to work on his three-point shot and, and, and try to shoot it in games. As of earlier today, during that Bulls game, he missed a, a three, and they announced that he was one for 11 in the series. One for 11. Think about what he could do with those other 11 possessions and the damage he can cause on the interior just driving to the basket. 11 possessions waste. Okay, 10 possessions because he made one shot. He made one three. That's just terrible decision making. I don't need you out there shooting that shot when you make it at a 28% clip or whatever number he's out on the season. That's bad. But that's the league. And of course, go back to Steph Curry, the one of the greatest shooters of all time, if not the greatest, is the cause of this. He's the cause of... The Steph Curry range. Everybody now with this 
drive and kick game. But I can't watch it. I turned it off. I turned the Bulls game off. I can't I can't stomach the poor defensive rotation. And by the way, that's why the Nets lost Saturday night. Okay. Yeah, Durant, you can get on him all you want for the, the, the 11 field goal attempts and mentally being taken out of a game. Like, I've never seen a star player taken out of a game mentally. His turnovers. Go back and watch his turnovers. The most uncharacteristic. You would think for a second, I made this joke to friends in text messages. The Monstars from Space Jam came and took his talent, took his ability to play this game for one night. Like, that was not Kevin Durant last night. Who was that man? I don't know. It was it was tough to watch. And, and every time, like, he would... Because he, he made six shots. He made six out of 11. The problem was he wasn't taking shots when he had them. And again, even Van Gundy pointed that out. When he beat that first man, he had that mid-range shot and then drove more and kicked. Stop and pop. Stop and pop. It's a simple thing. I watched... Um, There was a sequence... Not a sequence. A play in the Bulls game where... DeRozan's at the top of the key. Caruso passes him the ball from the left side. He cuts across. Instead of screening, screen a defender. And DeRozan can dribble left, stop and pop from mid-range. Instead, Caruso just runs right past both guys. And goes to the wing to look for a pass. The guy is up. You should. The, the defender is up on DeRozan as you pass him the ball. Screen him. You get a. It's a simple basketball. Oh my god. And um. Yeah, I know I'm scatterbrained. I'm all over the place here. There's just so much to talk about as you watch these games. And everyone is on Steve Nash. Okay. I had this long debate with a with a. With a college buddy of mine, known the man 20 years, lawyer, brilliant man, intelligent, GPA was like 3.999 at Hofstra University. And we argued last night. Not a friendly argument, nothing nothing outrageous, nothing. And he he's a coach killer, okay? He's coach is to blame for he's a Jets fan, okay? Listen, the man has suffered for many years with horrible Jet coaches who in some cases did look clueless. Now I had forgotten the Steve Nash situation in terms of him being hired without any prior coaching experience. So that's on me in the argument. But at the same time, when you watch this game last night, regardless of coaching experience, and you want to get on Nash for adjustments or non-adjustments and defense. And listen, again, I'm going to scatterbrain here, but watch the Nets play defense. Chicken with the head cut off. Nobody knows where they should be. And by the way, not always on the coach. You don't think? I mean, coaches are trying to get these guys to be in the right spot in practice. I guarantee you that they're trying to get these guys in the right spot. But everyone rotates poorly. Everyone overhelps. No one knows where to be. And everyone ends up with a corner three as a result. That run, by the way. That run, that was pretty good, right? Come on, give me something there. 
but it's it's really bad defense everywhere. At the exception of the Jalen Brown shots in the late fourth quarter. Listen, Brown was making some tough contested shots. There's no doubt about it. However, when the ball moved, remember when the Nets made the comeback and Patty Mills finally started to make three, something he hasn't done for quite a bit of time. I mean, he looks as shot as it gets, along with, by the way, the Blake Griffin experience, who came onto the court, made a couple threes, but then still had a negative, uh, a negative on the plus minus, because every time the Celtics came down, they scored, and they were going at Blake Griffin, which of course is smart to do, because the guy can't guard anybody. But to get on Nash, because of that's the thing, people. Oh, he has no experience. He has no he's done. What do you mean? I see. Listen, I coach youth youth basketball. I used to. I don't coach at the moment, but. I'll defend coaches to a degree because I hate when they don't, people don't hold players accountable. And that's a problem because when you watch last night and you see Durant passing up on shot opportunities, not squaring up on the defense, there's, listen, there's multiple situations last night where he could have faked right and gone left to go away from the wall and get a baseline jumper. I'm just watching this from the perspective of as a player too, I, listen, I didn't play college ball, this other stuff. You want to call me a playground legend? Some people will say I am, people who've seen me play. And there's little things you can do with the ball to get the defense to, to, to go away from you. By faking one way, jab stepping, the, the legendary Jordan jab step, the Kobe, the even, you know, I kill Melo all the time, but Melo's a great jab step guy, okay? You got to make the defense move. And Durant seemed like mentally... He forgot how to attack a defense. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, I want somebody on the bench, slap the man in the face, wake him up. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Do you forget who you are? <laughs> like, he's seven feet tall. Square up, jab step, get the defender to move, and just pull up and shoot the fucking ball. No one, who's blocking Kevin Durant's shot? Who? Are they going to get in his face? Yeah, I don't care. I want to believe Kevin Durant is going to make contested shots. Now, you want to point to game two and say he was seven for 24. Maybe he forced the issue there and missed. He's still Kevin Durant. I want him to take those shots. I want to believe he's going to make contested shots over a period of time. And if he doesn't, well, then you're going to go home. And that goes back to the Steve Nash argument. How many coaches are winning last night's game when you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant combined to shoot 12 of 28. 12 of 28, which isn't a bad percentage. I'm not even going on the percentages. It's They took 28 shots combined. That's the problem. And then when you factor in the horrid defense, I mean, the Nets shot 50% last night. The offense essentially wasn't the bigger problem. The defense and the lack of rotation. And oh man, that was that was tough to watch. That was one of the few games where I watched from start to finish, and it gave me, it made my head spin, just from all the bad defensive plays and inability to pass. And oh, the NBA is atrocious. If you like this game and you you love the way they play, yeah, I, I feel for you, man. It's a bad game. And the rest of the playoffs, if I can for a second, I saw that the Warriors just lost. 
in spite of uh, Clay Thompson having, what, 30-plus points, 7 for 11 from downtown. Clay's back. Clay's back. And um, it seems like the rest of the team, though, they're, they're not as strong as they used to be, especially defensively. Now, again, you could say it's an aberration. They lost one game in the series. They're still up 3-1. to one. They're going to go home and close out game five. Yes. Joker had 37 today. He's a monster. But I don't think the Warriors are as strong as they once were. Now, Clay's, if Clay is Clay, of course he's dangerous. But I think they're more beatable now than they ever have been. Because I don't think Draymond Green is where he once was. I don't know if he'll ever get back to that point. And the Phoenix Suns. All right, I got a story for you. Talk about a fucking idiot. This is this is a story of my life, okay? So I had no knowledge of the Booker injury. I'm checking the scores, and I had made... Listen, I'm a, I'm a recovering gambling degenerate piece of shit, okay? But I have the FanDuel, and I had some money on FanDuel's account courtesy my fantasy winnings. And I had... Um, there was a game last week where the Mets... We're home, and they played the Giants. It was Scherzer against, was it Logan Webb? I think it was Webb, and I took the under. I was like, they're not going to. And I took the under first five. It was three and a half, and Logan Webb actually got hit. He gave up three runs in five, but thankfully the Giants didn't hit Scherzer, who had a no-hitter, I don't know, I guess until the sixth, right? He lost that no-hitter in the sixth. So I won that bet. And as a degenerate, you don't just stop there. You go, oh, oh, how about this? What's going on? Let's see what's going on. So I go over to the Suns game, and I just look at the score, and the Suns are down in the third quarter to Pelicans at home. And I go, what is this? What's going on here? You don't think I would go to Twitter and see what's going on in the game, or maybe, you know, just anything. Nope. I go, fourth quarter, let's put the Suns. They're going to win this game. Suns are going to come back. They're going to win this game. And sure as shit, I'm watching this fourth quarter on my phone. Because, you know, I, like I said, I can't watch these games. And the Pelicans pulled away. Brandon Ingram had one of the greatest games he'll have as a, as a pro. I mean, look, I, I don't want to say that's his ceiling because he's still young. And McCollum had a great game. And they, they finished off the Suns. And, it, and I lost the bet as a result. And it wasn't that night. It wasn't the night after. It was like two days later where I'm hearing them name all the injuries in the playoffs. And they go Middleton and who else am I forgetting? I don't know. And then they said Booker. I went, what, Booker? Hurt? When did Booker get hurt? I pull up a recap and I start reading Devin Booker ankle injury late third quarter didn't return. I wanted to fucking punch myself in the face. I'm like, how did I not do that research before placing a bet? Some people are laughing hysterically right now. I know some of my degenerate friends are like, that happened? (laughs) Why did you not know? I guess that's my fault for not watching the game, right? Yeah, the Suns are going to come back in the fourth. So, yeah, that sucked. And then I, I tried to double down after the loss, and I took the Dodgers at home in a money line situation. And, of course, they lost. I'm just like, are you kidding me? The Dodgers are like 11 and three, and they of course lost the game. I bet them on. So I was like, that's why. That's why you're a degenerate piece of shit loser, and that's why you shouldn't gamble. See, lesson learned. I took a minor loss. I can live with that minor loss. 
but it, it was a cleansing, so I feel better now. I didn't. I don't need to do it again. So the Suns ended up winning a big surprise game three in New Orleans without Booker. Chris Paul, listen, the ageless one, just continues to have this season where he found the fountain of youth. I mean, the numbers he's putting up right now at his age is just mind-blowing. It's like right next to LeBron in terms of just, wow, he's like 35, 36, and he's still at this level. And uh, they play game four later on tonight, I believe. So the Suns are trying to get a commanding 3-1 lead. Listen, New Orleans is dangerous. The Ingram, like I said, Ingram, they need McCollum to have a good performance. McCollum can be iffy with his field goal percentage sometimes. So the Sixers had a commanding lead and were going to sweep until the Raptors decided to show up for game four. And then James Harden had his one really bad shooting performance. I think he had a mediocre shooting performance in game two and they survived. Or was it game one? But regardless, Harden's going to have that game. The question is, how many of those does he have? Because the Sixers can escape perhaps one as long as Embiid is being as dominant as he has been because he's that good. But does Harden ruin a series with some of his poor shot selection? Which, because you know James Harden, if he's missing, he's still shooting the ball, okay? He uh, doesn't care if he keeps missing. He has those games sometimes. And he'll shoot you right out of a playoff series. Although you would hope now he's growing up, he's maturing, he's going to realize that that guy on the block is going to win the game. So get him the ball, James Harden, and they'll go home. And they won't go home early, rather. So, I mean, listen, the next series are going to be incredible. I don't know the exact matchups. I don't know who's going to play who. Miami had a really tough loss in Game 3 because they were up. After being down, they were up and took control of the game. And then Trey Young in Atlanta went off late fourth quarter and won that game. And that was a tough loss for them because they had that game wrapped up. And they play, they're playing right now, actually. I do not know the score, but they're playing in Miami. Listen, with all the turmoil with the whole Butler and Spolstra and that blow up there, they got to win this series. They can't, I, I mean, if Atlanta comes back and wins this series, that's just bad, so... But I think Miami will overcome whatever Trey Young has to offer because he's another inconsistent shooter. I mean, he's there. He's your classic poor man's Curry because he has more, you know, seven for twenty fours than than he has the you know fourteen for twenty fours. And uh, out west, Utah Jazz. By the way, let's talk about this for a second. They were about to go down three games to one, and they were down ninety nine ninety five. By the way, here's what's interesting about this. Is, uh, that was right. The Donkage was the other injury that they mentioned. So Donkage doesn't play game one or two. And they won. They split, right? They split at home. And then they went to Utah. I mean, that was an incredible game, though. So Utah's down. And then they get a key basket. Mitchell drives, gets a layup. And then they get the ball back and they, they get the timeout and they have a great out-of-bounds play. Quinn Snyder, one of the better guys who draws up plays out of timeouts. They get an alley-oop to go bare and then they win that game. And Donkic played. So that was that was a great performance for them to win 
with Donkic on the court. So that gives them hope. Because, I mean, look, I've always said this. Utah has could be a contender if they had somebody better than Mike Conley. Conley shot. And they don't have much other help. I mean, look, Badanovich is, is inconsistent. O'Neal is just a defender. Gobert, eh, sometimes, sometimes not. He's not really a go-to scorer anyway. And then the rest of that team, you know, Clarkson is hot and cold, more cold than hot oftentimes because he's just that guy who just jacks up shots. So, you know, know, flip a coin with him. So um, that other playoff series is intriguing also. Minnesota and Memphis. I think Minnesota, yeah, Cat finally showed up. Cat had a huge game. I think Cat went for 33 and 15, some crazy numbers. And uh, Minnesota tied that series 2-2 after that game three being like one of the more ridiculous playoff games you'll ever see. Minnesota was up 23 or 25 points late third quarter. And Memphis went on one of the greatest playoff runs of all time, if not the greatest playoff run of all time. I think they outscored them something like 40-10 to to end the game. Just mind-blowing. Like an incredible... Like, just meltdown by Minnesota, which, by the way, and I was wrong, I said that game would bury them mentally. So, for Carl Anthony Towns to take that team and put them on his back, because he is the veteran there with young guys like Edwards and Russell. So, I mean, that was a huge performance for Cat last night. And that's a fun series, too, too. But, I mean, listen, ultimately, the Suns and the Warriors, I think, will come out. And they will they will play in the West Finals. I, it's hard to really say anybody else. I don't, I don't believe anybody else. And the East is so wide. The East is so wide open. I mean, there's just so much talent now in the East that didn't, that didn't exist prior to a lot of these moves being made. And all the Celtic fans, listen, hey, if Tatum is going to step up and be that guy, I mean, he still has his moments where he takes bad shots. And a lot of Celtic fans get on him for that. You know, he likes to force the three too much. He loves it. He shoots that three way too much. And when Jalen Brown can be the closer he was in game three Saturday night, well, the Celtics are hard to beat because you get a lot of those glue guys. I mean, like, like Al Horford, who... Basically, one game two with his offensive rebounding. I mean, there's a stat that people don't realize in that game. This, the Nets shot 54% in game two in Boston and lost. Shot 54%. Go check the box score. The Celtics had 15 offensive rebounds. They had 10 more field goal attempts. That's how they won that game. Al Horford, a guy who's the mediocre rebounder at best for the majority of his career. Now at the age of 35 or 36, I'm not sure what he is is now becoming a better rebounder. And that's because a lot of these guys say they don't know how to rebound. That's the problem. The league is flooded with guys that don't box out. Everybody jumps. No one boxes out. Go watch. Like, what? Do you, why is no one boxing out? What the fuck? Bad technique, everything. And I think guys who even try to box out don't know how to do it the right way. And at the end of the day, when people talk about coaching, I assure you, the guys who are in the league now who played 20, 30 years ago, not all of them played, but a lot of these ex-players who are now coaches are trying to teach these players how to play the game the right way. They, they didn't forget how to play the game. 
Steve Nash shouldn't forget how to play the game. He's, he's only going to give the knowledge he has in his mind and his experience to the players that are on the court. Whether they listen or not, that's the problem. These guys don't listen. They think they know it all. They want to play their way. And that's why the league looks the way it does. The ratings are still strong. I'm not, I, I can't, what can I say? Hey, listen, if I don't like this game, I'm not going to watch. Clearly, millions of people still like this game and are still watching. But I think the more old school mentality people like myself just can't, just can't stomach it. And if you are enjoying it, I, I mean, I don't know how. I, I just, I can't watch all these threes. I can't. I can't. Not when I see the mid range shot there. Wow. I went on a rant, didn't I? All right, I'm going to come back and just wrap up with a few more thoughts. This is a lot just like just ad-libbed episode. I shouldn't pat myself on the back. I just I love to talk. What can I say? All right, um coming back Morning's Law podcast after this. Tune in every Monday night at 10 p.m. for the Absolute Truth Show on Blog Talk Radio. Join the Hot Rod, Sean Black, and Lady T as they give you the truth on current events, politics, and everything in between. That's Monday nights at 10 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com slash the Absolute Truth 100, where they tell it like it is. Welcome back to Morning's Law Podcast. I'm going to wrap it up here in a few minutes. Um, like I said, it's been, what, almost a month since I've done an episode. And um, sad news came out recently. It was I, I was shocked by it because I don't think he's that old of a man. But, you know, Gilbert Gottfried passed away. And uh, just, just brilliant if you know of his comedy and the stuff he's done. And just has, has so many great, memorable moments in comedy. I mean, just his his first of all, his appearances on Stern are legendary. Just him being in the news with with, with uh, Dracula and and all the stuff that he would do during the news that would disrupt it and have Howard laughing hysterically. And I mean, just a brilliant mind. It's sad he's gone. I mean, just when you, I'm trying to think of the other thing he did that was great. Um, he had done the oh the aristocrat joke. Because there was, of course, I, I guess it was a documentary where everyone told their version of the aristocrats. His, by far, the funniest. And just the way he does it with the, you know, of course, that's not his real voice. We all know that. But, I mean, the voice and the delivery and not only the aristocrats, but I was just recently watching a reel of uh, his roast appearances and some of the stuff. I mean, just brilliant jokes. The Bob Saget joke with the line of the Olsen twins going into a bar. And, oh, I can't tell the joke because it's just like, it's just go find it if you want to hear the punchline. It's just brilliant. Just another legend gone in comedy. And as I'm watching those roasts, I came across Greg Giraldo. And of course, I mean, listen, he stole the show at every roast. That man was brilliant, too. I mean, he was the comics comic. I think people went to roast just to just to hear what he had to say, because that's how good he was. So, um, yeah, Gilbert Gottfried gone. 
So um, my fantasy team, for those who care, is it winning right now? I think I'm winning at this moment. I had a look. Nobody's hitting in baseball. Let's talk about baseball for a second. No one's hitting. Okay, batting averages are so low for the most part. I mean, I have like two of my better hitters, Soto, who's now in a like a horrible uh, streak, and Alvarez and Houston can't hit. I have a lot of guys. My opponent, thankfully, one of the I think he's a four or five time champion. He uh, has had the worst offense I've ever seen for a week, but mine isn't much better. Like I'm 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 clinging to a a win right now. It's just bad. It's bad, and it goes back to launch angle. Everything goes back to launch angle and how these guys swing a bat now. As everybody says, all the nerds say launch angle, get the ball in the air, home run. The single is dead. But now they're going to bring it back when they ban the shift. So baseball will go back to what it was with, with, with the, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But I think it's bad. It's like, what, you're telling a team they can't shift now? I mean, I've heard that like Ted Williams beat a shift his entire career. Now, I didn't see that, but this is what people tell me. You can't take it away. Imagine like in the NFL if a team was graded blitzing and all of a sudden they just banned blitzing. No more blitzing. We don't want to hurt the quarterback. Blitzes determine... Speaking of quarterbacks, how about... um, did I mention that in, in a previous... I did, I did. I talked about Brady coming back. I'm sorry. My memory's bad. But the NFL draft is coming up, actually, Thursday. Good. That's a good thought that I had that Brady... Uh, that made me think of the draft. I don't know. I don't think the Bears have a first-round pick because they, they always trade away everybody just to get... I know they got picks for Khalil Mack, but none of them was a first-round pick. I know the Giants and Jets have a lot of picks. There's already rumors that Jackson was going to trade out of their first pick. Whatever. Whoever they get doesn't matter. So, yeah, this was the uh, the ad-libbed Morton's Law podcast. I hope you like it. Let me know. If I suck, tell me so. I'll be better next time. I'm just exhausted, but I was motivated. I was like, I got to do an episode today. I got to do one. I'll try to go more in depth on wrestling and stuff other times. I just uh I just wanted to give you something. All right, well, thanks again for listening. Please support the show. Spread the word. I, I see people are listening, so that's good. People are still listening despite the infrequence of my show. Is that a word? But um it's good to know people still at least a few care. So I, I do it for them. <laughs> for them. All right, everybody. Take care. And as you know, God bless gay sex.